Hi, everybody, and we are recording today's episode of Adapting on February 3rd, 2023. So I actually didn't realize it until rather recently, but it appears that I often say that I went to a Jewish day school, but I grew up in a youth movement. And belonging to Hubble and Draw was indeed the most formative educational experience of my life growing up. And many would argue that still to this very day, everything that I'm doing professionally and making a living from today is basically all that I learned and did back then. And you know what? I think I'm okay with that. And today's conversation with Adina Friedman really amplifies and resonates with me that those people who say I'm still doing that same type of work, just in a different setting, they could be right. Because there was something about being a 16-year-old kid boldened by ideology and empowered to lead that was deeply formative for who I was then and is still today. It's not coincidental that it was there that I formed some of my closest friendships, many of which have lasted with me through today. And it was with a deliberate and intentional understanding that the collective was indeed and would always be stronger than any individual. Now, it was also back in the youth movement where my peers became co-leaders and people just a few years older than me became my role models, my teachers, my madrachim, those who would literally and figuratively be showing me and guiding me down the paths that I would take for the rest of my life. It was also there that phrases like dugma ishit, leading by personal example, became leadership lessons unto themselves and where singing and dancing became the embodied spirituality of my youth. And declarations such as the one from Isaiah chapter 54, verse 13, where it says, Do not call us your children, but your builders became mantras for life and not just in the moment. So for those of you who know me today and my educational philosophies, it's not so hard to see the direct line between Dr. David Breifman, CEO of the Jewish Education Project, and Breifey, that kid in Habbo. But that was many, many years ago in a land far, far away. And today, I really wanted to explore with our guests what's the same and what might be different about Zionist youth movements in 2023. This is Adapting, the future of Jewish education, a podcast from the Jewish Education Project, where we explore the big questions, challenges, and successes that define Jewish education. I'm David Breifman. I have known today's guest, Adina Friedman, who is now the CEO of Young Judea Global for many years. And I think that in itself is interesting for today's episode because when Adina and I met each other, she wasn't involved in a youth movement, but now she is leading one of the largest youth movements, not youth organizations in North America today. Prior to being at Young Judea, Adina worked at UJA Federation of New York and before then in St. Louis, where it was where we first met. I think it's also interesting to mention that as part of today's conversation, that as well as many of her other achievements and accomplishments in life, Adina received a Bachelor of Music from Stetson University and Cantorial Invest from Hebrew Union College Jewish Institute for Religion. And I mentioned that specifically because our last few weeks of adapting have all mentioned the power of music in Jewish education in some way or another. And with that, Adina, thank you for joining us on today's episode of Adapting. Thank you, David. It's really a pleasure to be here. Looking forward to the conversation. So maybe it's worth starting from the vantage point of not having grown up in a youth movement world yourself. How would you describe what it is that a youth movement is in the world today? To me, a youth movement activates. It activates young people to speak out and act as a collective, to actualize an aspirational vision for the future. There's a lot of pieces to that, right? So there's individuals that are coming together. They're coming together as a group around a shared vision, a shared aspiration, something that they feel is broken, wrong, not yet where it should be. And they come together and they mobilize to make change happen. 
So that makes a lot of sense. But when you first like set foot in a youth movement Moadon or a youth movement um, clubhouse, I think that's the best translation of Moadon, or a youth movement convention or camp, like that's not always what you see, right? You see a whole lot of kids having fun. So now let's get behind the scenes a bit of like what's really taking place as you describe these young people are also like out there changing the world. Absolutely. So we always say that, you know, without the joy, none of this would happen. Without the sense of stickiness, of community, of friendships coming together, none of what we do, none of the magic, none of what we make possible would actually take place. So it's true. When a group of young people come together, um, hopefully they're coming together in a social setting. They're coming together within a framework of either known shared values or shared aspirations or that that comes over time right that that comes to be uncovered or it comes to be developed over time that's part of the behind the scenes magic of what the adults are making possible in a youth led or a peer led movement so there's the surface and then there's what's happening behind the scenes uh, so much already to unpack with you all. Okay. All right. So tell us a bit about Young Judea. I mean, anyone can look up the history, but from your, your vantage point, how do you describe Young Judea to someone who's not familiar with the youth movement? Young Judea is uh, the largest Zionist youth movement in North America. We're the oldest Zionist youth movement. We were founded in 1919. And the history of the youth movement has really evolved, right? When it was originally developed, it was developed with the explicit purpose of helping in the project of establishing the state of Israel. As it evolved, it really was about building the state, being there, settling the land, and helping to develop the country. And now I would say we're kind of in a third phase. People talk about like third phases of Zionism. And we really are working on building the character of the state or perfecting it or working more toward what Tal Becker would call an aspirational Zionism. What type of kid is attracted to come to Young Judea? Like this is not like, I don't want to use the word normal so flippantly, but I'll use it as a statistical term, right? It's not the normal average kid, statistically speaking, that's coming to a, a youth movement like Young Judea. So how do you describe the type of kid, the type of teen that's coming to, to Young Judea activities? Young Judea and its inception was built intentionally as a pluralistic youth movement. So pluralistic in both religious practice, that was kind of the origin was we had people from across the denominational spectrum. We've never been affiliated with a particular movement. But as it evolved, it really became a much more intentional and broad understanding of pluralism to include politics and ideology and practice and people really coming from different walks of life, coming together in one kihila in one community. So somebody who is opting into a young Judea community is looking to be with people who are not just like them, right? They're looking to encounter other types of people from different backgrounds. And I would say that that's one of the things that makes Young Judea unique even today and somewhat countercultural. We can talk a bit more about that. There's more to say there. Uh, just wondering if this is the same as it was back in my day. How many participants in Young Judea had their parents involved in the youth movement as well? Great. So seeing as how we've been around for quite some time, we are comprised of legacy members, right, who are in their second or third generation in some cases. But we also have a lot of participants who have only just heard about us recently. They might be part of our gap year program. They might be part of our camps for the first time or joining in our year-round programming. So we really have a mix. We have a mix of new, we call them new Judeans and, um, and old Judeans or existing Judeans. So you can be a new young Judean, you can be a, an old young Judean. All right, I get it. Okay. <laughs> so I want to like discuss some of the terms that you have used. They're things that I think I throw around, but I think more 
to the point. Lots of people throw them around without really considering what they mean. I think the first one I want to dive into with you is this notion of peer-led or teen-led or youth-led. So I think I know what it means, but I want to know, like, is it real? And what role do adults really have behind the scenes? Or is this truly a peer-led youth movement operating on a weekly, monthly, year-round basis? So I think there's been an evolution of this. And depending on who you talk to, there's different myths around whether it ever really was truly 100% youth-led in the way that you're describing. I think that there was always, there were always adults, there were always educators, there were shlichim, there were madrichim who were behind gently guiding, gently coaching, or to use my word from before, activating the youth, activating the teens to lead the movement, to come forward and lead their peers. That, I would say, even with that, that there's probably been an evolution. And and I think we see that in general in youth groups, in in schools, in education, that adults are probably playing a little bit more of a role. The movement also has professionalized over time. I would say that that's a good thing as the the CEO of the movement. I feel that in order for us to, to really do our work and to have maximal impact, we need to, it's a good thing that we've professionalized over time. The downside is that perhaps we've lost a little bit of that purely youth-led we do have a teen board that a musky root that in theory is guiding our, our direction. They're guiding our core values. They are putting together the activities for their peers. They're certainly just had a national convention. They led the entire convention start to finish. But I do see that there is a missing piece. And I wonder to what extent it's part of the general milieu that we're living in. They're not necessarily as empowered as I would like to see. What does that mean? I don't necessarily see our, the, the teens that are involved today in our movement, and, and frankly, I think across other movements as well, I don't necessarily see them stepping forward and articulating issues that they want to get involved in, places of dissatisfaction, and really mobilizing their peers around things that they want to change, things that they want to make happen, which is what at the core makes us a movement, right? We're not just a social group coming together. We want to see change happen. We're dissatisfied with the status quo. That's really the core of it. And I don't see that as much as perhaps historically we saw. Uh, That's interesting. I thought you were going to go somewhere else and saying something to the effect of the benefits of being more professional, the benefits of being more adult-led are the following. I don't know. You went the opposite. You said, in a best case scenario, the youth would actually have more power and more empowerment or a sense of more urgency than you currently feel that some of them might have. But in some ways, like you're a seasoned Jewish professional, you're a Zionist, you know what's good in the world. And here you're saying that as the CEO, you're also willing to let go a bit of that and to really try and give these young people the tools, skills, empowerment to be able to do that. I guess the flip is, have they ever like surprised you? Like, but not in a good way. Like, have they ever made a statement? Like, I know they have these, you know, hour long, but you know, we both know like sometimes 10 hour long meetings and they come up with a declaration at the end and you just say, oh my goodness, they really, really believe that like do they ever disappoint or do they continually surprise and inspire it's a both and and that's why the adults are there that's why you know those of us who have had more experience are there to gently guide to coach to give a broader perspective to give the long game i think we never want to be unauthentic with our teens if we were going to give them power and uh, latitude to be able to express and to be able to lead we need to be able to let them do that um, and not 
usurp it, not take it away. But we can we can provide framework, we can provide education, we can provide guardrails so that they do get a bigger picture. We are at the end of the day, we're pedagogues, we're educators, right? And so we need to um, we need to gently and subtly incept certain things, and we need to help them surface things that they may not necessarily see or understand. But here's here's what I want to say about the the teen piece and the leading around particular ideas. I am as an adult who's involved in this, although I have very strong sense of my own ideology and aspirations, I absolutely want to step aside and make room for the youth, for the next generation to articulate. And that's because of the experiences that I had growing up. I, Although I didn't grow up in a youth movement, I was surrounded by adults who empowered me, who gave me the confidence to be able to uh, articulate what I felt strongly about, to be able to critically think and discern what matters and what doesn't matter, and then hopefully to give me the tools to be able to go out and make those things happen. And I think if we get too much in the way, we're going to stymie our young people. And, you know, I I hate to say this, but we're not going to be around forever, right? So we really, we have a job to do. And our job is to inspire and empower and ignite and activate that that next group. So- I want to probe a bit further on something that you've mentioned already, and that is that experiential education almost by definition allows young people to reach conclusions on their own, although guided and you know taught in specific ways. Pluralism sort of connotates that almost all opinions are valued or valuable within a conversation. And I'm wondering whether you as an organization, you as CEO, have certain red lines about what pluralism entails in your youth movement. Are there things which are totally unacceptable or are those things dictated by the youth of the day determining what in and out of a particular conversation. There are definitely boundaries across the movement. Next week, I'm going to be in Israel and we're actually coming together with not necessarily the teens in this moment. We're coming together with all of the heads of each of our camps and Israel programs, which is our senior team, to talk about what pluralism looks like today for us in 2023. And we're going to be having I think difficult conversations about whether there are boundaries, what the boundaries are, should there be a set of core principles and ideas, uh, should there be consistency across all our different programs because the brand should stand for something in particular and regardless of what experience you have within your today, you're having a particular experience. And I'll give you a particular example of something that's going to come up. A number of years ago in one of our camps, the teens led a gay pride parade Our camps, particularly our national teen camp, draws from all around the country. And at that time, I think that there were constituents that weren't particularly prepared for that, uh, particularly parent bodies from different parts of the country that were not prepared for that and felt like, ooh, if this is representative and this is where we are, then I'm not sure necessarily that we want to associate ourselves with you in Judea. And there were a lot of discussions about it came from the teens. What does this mean? B, you know, sort of what are our lines and where are we? And do we feel comfortable if, for example, there's homophobic sentiments within our community? Like, does that fit? Is there a place for that? Or actually, is that a line that we want to draw, right? That was a very particular conversation that we had. And certainly it's coming up now around Zionism. And some of it is semantics. We have members within the community who are, to use terms that people are associated with, I would say, you know, more right-wing and very ardent, strident um, Zionists in that way, uh, more, you know, advocacy, protection of the state. And and then we have people who are involved in Young Judea and who've come out of the movement who are ardent believers in, in human rights, in more of, um, you know, universalist kind of things and uh, and who have even, because of the way that the term has been co-opted, have self-labeled themselves anti-Zionists. And we've had many discussions about, well, 
are those people in the tent, right? How big is the tent of Zionism? I would argue, and I've said this to the movement, that our understanding of Zionism is a big tent Zionism. And I and I'm not sure that, you know, once we get start to get into the nuances of what's the anti, you know, is the anti against the current articulation and expression of what Israel is? That's a that's different from your anti the ideal and the idea, which is why we very much focus on this aspiration. Um, but that's certainly a hot button issue for us. So let's talk a bit about the Zionism part, because I think that is at least part of the essential essence of a traditional youth movement, both in the European setting and also in the American setting. But are you suggesting that it has come up in conversation, at least whether young Judea should be labeled a Zionist youth movement? Do the, do the conversations go that far? Or is it something like within the banner of the broader sense of Zionism, we are still firmly a Zionist organization? I think as distinct from a pro-Israel or a pro-particular Israeli government when it happens to be elected type of organization. Yes, the conversation has come up. And yes, this is one of those places where I have put my foot down and said, you know, this is who we are. We are a Zionist youth movement. This is who we're going to continue to be with the caveat that we need to reclaim and redefine and broaden our notion of what it means to be a Zionist youth movement because the term has been co-opted. And it's been co-opted by both the right and it's co-opted by the left. There's been a narrowing of our understanding of what Zionism is. And I think with that framework, there's support. Um, and I think broad buy-in. And any, I would say this, David, any conversations around whether or not we should be quote unquote labeled as a Zionist movement has really been from, not necessarily from a sense of, of anti, it's more a sense of Unfortunately, it's a product of the reaction that people have to the word and to the label. And so it's sometimes it's purely a business conversation, right? Of if people see a label around Zionist camp or Zionist program, will they even bother to look any further, right? Are we immediately going to be pigeonholed as a particular flavor or a particular sentiment or ideology? And so sometimes the discussions go, well, is there a softer landing? Like, can we talk about Israel and the fact that we're connected to and we foster uh, engagement with and love of Israel and, you know, even um, a, a deep and, and personal relationship with Israel. But putting that word Zionism out there automatically pegs us. And so that that's where the discussions have gone. Um, but so far, I think we have come down on the line of unapologetically Zionist youth movement and just, again, re- redefining, broadening and reclaiming the, the term. It's, it's ironic that I said to you before we got on to live recording that this is going to be an easy conversation and like my head's going in all these ways and I don't want to get either of us into trouble here but I think in some ways these complexities are unavoidable because I'm going to get to the stage whether you think the youth movement of today is the same as the youth movement of tomorrow but I think in 2023 when it comes to Zionism in particular we're dealing with a really thorny issue which you said could be a business decision it could have huge identity implications on a personal level for many kids and ourselves as well. And then there become other factors. So, you know, we're both faced with, we're going to Israel in the next couple of weeks and both of us are involved in Zionist enterprises and, you know, politicians want to meet with us. And I'm interested, like, do your kids ever give you a mandate as have other constituents from other organizations, we do not want you to meet with certain representatives of the current Israeli government because they, for whatever reason, breach our moral code or breach our understanding of what Zionism ought to be. So in some ways, the Israeli reality is also posing new limitations on our pluralism, which is really interesting playing itself out for us here not living in Israel. I'm going to answer this in a way that perhaps is unexpected for you. I wish that our teens and our youth 
knew enough and cared enough about what was going on that they would articulate or express something like that. I think that there's a there's a, a broader issue, which is why we're so committed to education and to educating around Israel, that because of the environment, because of what they're reading, I think some of the dissatisfaction and the frustration is leading to a disengagement, which is also leading to a lack of knowledge and lack of information. In order to care about something and to agitate and act around it, you have to know enough. And we are, and you know, you're in the business of, of Jewish education, David, and Israel education. I think you would agree with me that the level overall of education and knowledge is there's work to do. There's a lot of work for us to do there. And and I'm hoping that that will lead to a re-engagement. On all sides, I want to be able to answer the question and to say, yes, absolutely. They're agitating and they're, you know, they're screaming at me around this and, and they're not. I think in general, it's kind of like, ah, okay, you know, or not our issue. I want to say one thing about why I believe that our unique flavor and our approach to Zionism actually resonates or will resonate with a lot of teens today. Young Judea has always been not exclusively about Zionism and Israel engagement, but we've also been an ardent supporters and committed to tikkun olam, to changing the world. We've been inward facing, right, about our own particular Jewish identity and Israel connection and outward facing. Particularly when we look at young people today who are so committed to universalistic causes, who are looking around at their broken societies, this is the way that we think about these issues isn't separate from who we are as a Zionist youth organization. Our broadest understanding of Zionism is that Zionism emerged from an understanding of and commitment to dissatisfaction with the status quo and a commitment to changing that. And we've always believed that you have to be committed simultaneously to internal issues and also to external issues. And I think particularly in today's society where there's this notion that if you believe in progressivism or liberal causes or universal causes, that you cannot be a Zionist. Basically, like Zionists are not allowed in those rooms. We are countercultural in as much as we are saying, actually, we're doing both. We've always been committed to both, and we will continue to do that. So I appreciate and really understand your answer, especially sociologically, given what we understand about the youth of today. And I think in some ways, your response is also the essence of something which worries me. When I say worry, it's like for someone who cares about language, it worries me that you're now in a position where what we call a youth movement today is not what nostalgically I grew up knowing what a youth movement is. And like, I'm fine to let that go, but I'm just wondering what the limitations of that. And by that, I mean, you've mentioned the word countercultural a few times, but you're now also mentioning that there aren't enough kids agitated enough to actually get up and, and do something. So here I'm wondering, like, is this always just going to be a niche part of society and it's always going to be elite and it's never not elite necessarily, but a small group which is going to mobilize, hopefully mobilize others and therefore become some sort of leadership elite. That, that's the language that I'm uncomfortable with, but still used. And it's never going to be a mass. So we're never going to get 5,000 kids turning up to a Young Judea International Convention, but we are going to get a few hundred or thousand really core committed that really want to change the world. Or is it simply like, there's just not enough interest in changing anything. Like you're growing up in the 60s, there was enough radicalization to, to keep you going for decades or establishing the state of Israel or freeing Soviet Jewry. Like maybe there just aren't enough causes these days for people to be countercultural. And every time you say countercultural, I'm sort of like, what are they counterculturaling about? Like life's pretty comfortable for American Jews. Let's leave the anti-Semitism discussion maybe to the side. But like, what's the what's the agitation factor? And if there's no mobilizing force, why would they want to be in a youth movement? They could just hang out with their friends. 
So now we get to the crux of the issue. And this is why I feel like we so desperately need youth movements today. It is not that there's a lack of issues to agitate around. There is an overwhelming number of issues to agitate around. And I think our youth are living in a state of cynicism and irrelevance. They feel irrelevant. How can I possibly make a difference on any particular issue? There's so many things that are going on. Nature of the internet and social media, on the one hand, makes one feel infinitely small and irrelevant. And on the other hand, a single person can be an influencer of millions of people, right? But the influencers that we're seeing tend to influence around brands. They tend to influence around pop culture. I don't know that we've necessarily harnessed the power of, of the internet and of social media and that our young people actually see that they can actually make a difference around particular issues, both as individuals, but here's where the youth and the movement really comes to play. There's a collective here, right? This is 101 community organizing. You don't have to do this alone. You're going to come together with peers, friends who care deeply about the same issues that you do. You just have to pick an issue, right? Pick one issue, go deep. Pete Davis wrote in his recent book, Dedicated, he wrote that we are living in, a, in an infinite browsing culture, right? In a culture where we can't necessarily hone in on any one particular thing. We're constantly scrolling. We're also in an era of immediate gratification. Movements are about the long haul. There's a stick Massive change that's happened in our societies has not happened overnight and has not happened because of one person. And so there are things, there are so many things that we need to change and that I think our young people are living with. And what we want to do and what movements can do is move them from a place of despair, you know, oh, well, to I can make a difference. I can make a change. And maybe it's just it's the ideologue in me, but I, I feel like this is like we're in a crisis, right? This is like desperate. And we're coming in at a moment where I mean, we've been around, but we're, we're coming in at a time where it's we're here to really solve a real need. If you don't mind sharing with us a recent experience that you just had, you went to Rwanda with a group of young Judeans on their year course program in Israel, and you were in Rwanda for International Holocaust Remembrance Day, if I'm not mistaken. Talk to us a bit about that particular episode, what it meant to you and the juxtaposition of Holocaust Remembrance Day with being in Rwanda. What impact did that have on you and also the participants of the youth movement who were there for that experience? So we went to Rwanda with a group of what you now call old young Judeans. We went with a group of 30 Judeans and we met there the year coursers. We have a group of 25 year coursers that spend a month of their gap year experience in Rwanda at the Agahosa Shalom Youth Village. We were there during Holocaust Remembrance Day and I would say it was the most transformative Holocaust Remembrance Day that I can remember for me personally and for many of the people who were in that room. The way in which the victims of the genocide of Rwanda have taken their own trauma and transformed it into a mission to now give back to the world. They've taken their, their survivorness, I guess, as an obligation to go out into the world and to make a difference, whether it's in their own villages to lift up people in Rwanda or to go out into the world and to do much larger, broader things. It's a sense of a deep sense of obligation and responsibility that comes out of this trauma. It's so unbelievably inspiring. And they very much see themselves as, you know, as connected to us through this 
what we'll call human collective trauma, this thing that keeps repeating itself, right? The human human nature that we keep saying never again, and yet they are witness of the fact that never again didn't didn't come true. And so there was a real joining together there of, you know, on behalf of humanity, just like a bleeding of really never again, what can we do? And how can we stand together, you know, to ensure that this never happens? So the highlight of my entire trip was at the end of the Holocaust Remembrance Day, they had taught the 600 members of the village, these 17 to 22 year olds to sing, you and I will change the world, you know, Arik Einstein's song. There we were singing along with them, all of the Judeans and all of the residents of Aguhoza Shalom. And you really felt like anything is possible. If we can come together in this moment and not just sing it, but really believe it, deeply believe that if we come together and, you know, and, and aspire and actually act to change the world, anything is possible. It's a really powerful example, and I think it's one which we could explore in a further episode in more depth, and that is if the purpose of Jewish education used to be to better the Jewish people. That was one take. And now many people are saying the purpose of Jewish education is to actually improve the rest of the world. And those two things don't need to be in juxtaposition with one another, but that's an alternate purpose. But I think what you're alluding to here is perhaps a third blurry purpose is that when the benefit of Jewish education in as much as it enables what we've learned from being Jewish to actually help other people express their own ethnicity, identity as well, is like a whole different tier of the power of what being Jewish could actually mean. And it sort of makes us wonder, like, what are the other gifts of being Jewish that could actually benefit the entire world? Shabbat is probably the most obvious example, but there are others. And when you're talking about Holocaust remembrance in this way, I think it's a really powerful, it's a really powerful story for us to, to end on. So thank you very much for sharing that with us. My pleasure. So. We come to the end of the episode, and as I do with all of my guests, I want to give you the opportunity to pay tribute to an educator in your life, someone who has been transformative for you or made an impact on your development as a Jewish educator. So I want to give tribute to do two different educators, uh, one that had an impact on me while I was a young person and one who continues to inspire me today. My entree into Young Judea was through a shaliach whose name is Guy Korngold. He currently works with the Young Judea Canada. He brought me in when I was in college to my first Young Judea ever conference, convention, and then invited me to go on to Israel on a leadership mission and then to work at one of our camps, Tel Yehuda. That year of my life had a outsized influence on my professional and my personal Jewish journey, and I'll forever be indebted to Guy. And as a lifelong learner, I continue to expand my horizons. And I want to give tribute to a, an educator who I met about 15 years ago, Johnny Ariel from Macomb. Johnny is a, a deep thinker and really has forced me to think about things with complexity, not take things at face value, to think about big ideas that sometimes make my brain explode, uh, and, uh, and to continue to pursue truth. So thank you. Adina, thank you so much for joining us on today's episode of Adapting. It was a good reminder for me about the beauty and the potential of youth movements. And I think um, it's a good lesson for all of us in ability for us to trust and empower our youth and also to also be in the background a bit to guide them when they when they might need that guidance as well. And I'm so glad that you've taken on this position as CEO of Young Today Global and the movement is really blossoming um, much to your credit and to the team that you've created and established around you. So 
thank you for everything that you do and thank you for being a guest on today's episode of Adapting. Thank you. Today's episode was produced by Dina Nussenbaum and Miranda Peters. The show's executive producers are myself, Karen Cummins, and Nessa Lieben. Our show is engineered and edited, as always, by Nathan J. Vaughan of NJV Media. If you have enjoyed Adapting this season, please leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, or even better still, share it with a friend. And especially if you belong to a youth movement or you know someone who belongs to a youth movement, share today's episode with anybody, whether they are young or old, as we expressed in today's episode about youth movements in the world at large. To learn more about the Jewish Education Project, please visit us at jewishedproject.org where you can learn more about our mission, history and staff. And as always, we are a proud partner of UJA Federation of New York. Thanks everyone for listening today.